Well, hello. You're listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host, Sean Dietrich. We're pleased that you could join us tonight. This episode is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family and by Folklore Brewing, the best beer in Alabama, and that's no joke. Tonight's episode was recorded before a live audience in my home state of Florida, as we've been taking our show around the U.S. and around the Southeast, recording before live audiences of our friends. Special guest tonight, the Petersons, playing their bluegrass for you. And then I tell a story about the origins of Santa Claus. And then I read a poem called Twas the Night Before Waffle House. And later still, I tell a story about delivering trees with my father. Let's have a listen. Everybody's happy, even grumpy old grandpappy Together on a Saturday night Well, you are listening to Sean of the South We are coming to you live from the Sunshine State This episode brought to you by Case Knife Edition in my family And by Folklore Brewery, the best beer in Alabama And special guest tonight, everybody, the Petersons Hey, listen, buddy, I'm your guy. Just hurry and come over, Mama made apple turnovers together on the Saturday night. Seventh State of the Union, the Sunshine State, the state that invites the rest of the world to slow down, relax, come on to the beach and taste that salty air, and take in some sunshine, and above all, buy some real estate. <laughs> real estate, the number one crop in Florida. We are the real estate capital of the universe. I would venture to say that at least 88 to 92% of the people in this room have at one time or still currently hold their real estate license. (laughs) Boy, it's good to be back in my home state of Florida. Yes, we are Floridians, we are warm weather people, we're the kind of people Christmas time is is spent in the tropical zones when we have palmetto trees and palmetto fronds all hanging around and we gather around Granny's piano in the den, the Mason and Hamlin piano, which she plays all those Christmas hymns like, I'm dreaming of a green Christmas (laughs) and walking in a moldy fungus winterland. I hope you got to see Sign out there. He was taking requests uh, from children and he was you know, snapping selfies and shaking people's hands. He came in late last night. I picked him up from the airport. His uh, sleigh was delayed at Hartsfield Jackson's airport. <laughs> he would have been here a lot earlier, but they uh, had some problems with Santa's landing gears. Santa Claus, otherwise known as Chris Kringle, the guy in the big red suit. He's got a long history in this holiday and I could truly I could truly say that Santa embodies Christmas. He is the spirit of Christmas. He's childhood, he's benevolence, 
He's, the, he's uh, old age, the grandfatherly figure. He is the jolly man who, in my childhood, was known to bring toys to good boys and good little girls in other people's houses because in my house, where we were raised, Deepwater Baptist, Santa was the man who brought me underpants and Metamucil every single year. But Santa wants you to know that his story stretches a long, long way back, longer than what you think. Santa was born in the third century in what is now modern-day Greece, or modern-day Turkey, that is. He was Turkish. He was named Nicholas by his mother. He was a good, benevolent man from a wealthy family who gave all his money away. There's a tale of three young women who were about to be sold into slavery in Santa who is St. Nicholas, bought their freedom, paid a large sum of money to their father for a dowry so that they could marry upstanding men. He saved soldiers from being executed and wrongfully accused prisoners. He was a good, good man, benevolent man. He is the patron saint in many world religions, the patron saint of children, of sailors, of penitent thieves, of pawnbrokers, and I'm not making this up, he is the patron saint of beer brewers. <laughs> he came over to America first with the Dutch. The Dutch called him Sinterklaas, which was a Dutch version of the word Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas. But it was two New York men who helped shape Santa from a Dutch fable saint into an American, which is the Santa that the world knows and loves today. In 1822, Clement Clark Moore, an Episcopal minister, an Episcopal of all things. We all know that Episcopals are very spiritual people because wherever two or more are gathered, there is a fifth. <laughs> Clement Clark Moore wrote a poem for his three daughters that was entitled An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas which you and I both know today as Twas the Night Before Christmas. He was hesitant to publish, uh, to publish this poem because he was seen as a theologian, and this was kind of frivolous in his old mind, but it was this poem that turned the name Santa Claus into the image of the jolly old elf with the rotund figure and the supernatural ability to fly from house to house on Christmas Eve in a miniature sleigh led by eight flying reindeer and leaving presents for deserving and undeserving children. And this took root in America almost immediately. In 1841, the idea was spreading like wildfire in Philadelphia. A general store shop put a life-size Santa model in their store. They dressed him in a big red suit so that kids could actually see this live model. And it wasn't long before this idea spread to the Salvation Army who needed money for their feeding of the poor and clothing and housing the unfortunate. And so they began dressing up their Salvation Army members who rang the bell on the street corners in red and white suits with false beards to solicit donations. And it is a tradition which has been long standing since 1890. And you can see them at every Winn-Dixie Publix and Piggly Wiggly today. Santa underwent one of the largest changes in 1881. When a political cartoonist named Thomas Nast drew on Moore's poem to create the first likeness that really matches what we know Santa Claus is today. His cartoon appeared in Harper's Weekly and he depicted Santa as a really jolly man with a full white beard and a round figure holding a sack that was loaded with toys. Santa Claus was truly brought to the American forefront by the Coca-Cola Corporation also known in the panhandle of Florida as Coca-Cola, <laughs> which is just how we say it. Yes, Coca-Cola led the charge, although it would also be unfair to say that Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. It would be also be unfair to say that Coca-Cola has given the entire nation type 2 diabetes. <laughs> but it was the Coca-Cola company that began its Christmas advertising in the 1920s with ads in magazines like the Saturday Evening Post and the National Geographic, when artist Fred Mizzen painted a department store-style Santa 
standing in a crowd, drinking a bottle of Coke. The image was ingrained in the minds of all Americans. But what about St. Nicholas? Is he more than just a children's figure? Well, the truth is, yes. Like many faith traditions, he is a saint who has miracles attributed to him. There are the coal miners disaster in Pennsylvania. It was a miracle of 1907 when coal mine explosions killed thousands of men in the Yakagani Valley near Van Meter. Over 3,000 miners died. It was the worst month in coal mining history, but some miners were spared. These miners were Orthodox Greek men who skipped work that day to celebrate the feast of St. Nicholas. They attributed this miracle to St. Nick and they give thanks to him every year. There was the miracle in the late 50s, took place in the Middle East when a woman was told she was unable to bear children by a doctor who told her this. A friend suggested she give Christianity a shot because it was not her, her uh, childhood religion, so she, against her father's wishes, walked into a Christian church. The priest told her to ask St. Nicholas for help. She did, and she was pregnant one week later. In 1965, in the Soviet Union, a crowded bus was stuck in the snow. It was a dire situation and people were going to die. And there was an old bearded man on the bus who identified himself only as Nick. He started talking to everybody about how much God loved them, about how special they were. And he said, if everybody would just believe, their faith will deliver them. And so everybody on the bus started praying and weeping and asking God for help. And lo and behold, the bus gained traction. The bus arrived at its destination, and when it got there, there was no old man on the bus. It was Saint Nicholas, everybody agreed. It was Saint Nicholas. The miracles kept coming in 93. There was a missionary man who had no money. He was starving to death. His wife was dying from malnutrition. He asked Saint Nick for help. The next day, someone donated anonymously $40,000. And these are just few of the stories that are attributed to St. Nick. There are thousands more of people throughout history receiving miracles. There are stories of healings. There are stories of people being saved from death. And all from a saint who you associate simply with presence. But it's more than presence. He is everything that we love about humanity. He is the Advent message. The message is that you are important and you are loved. The message is that you are to love other people, no matter who they are, to love them just the way they are. The message is to give more than you get. The message is to listen more than you talk. The message is to be good all year round. And above all, the message is drink Coca-Cola. Now let's welcome up to the stage here a beautiful family band, the Petersons, everybody.
the night before Christmas at the rural Waffle House. <laughs> not a creature was stirring, not even the nearby cows. The eggs were in the skillet, the bacon was cooking with care, in hopes that Christmas would soon be there. Over at the truck stop, truckers nestled snug in their sleeper cabs, their engines idling, heaters blaring, thinking of their kids and weary road tourists all gathered in booths eating the Danish of the day to soothe their sweet tooths. The tired Waffle House waitress had just taken her break and the cook was at the flat top grill preparing my $9 T-bone steak. <laughs> when out on the interstate there rose such a clatter we sprang from our booth to see what was the matter. Away to the window, we all flew like a flash, and we looked across the street to see what had passed. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. And what to our wondering eyes did appear? But a Peterbilt 389, 12.7 liter Detroit diesel 60 series engine with 500 horsepower, 1,650 pounds of torque, and a 275 wheelbase, and an Eaton Ford transmission, dual 150 gallon tanks, and a chrome exhaust appeared. <laughs> Inside was a little old driver, so lively and quick, and we all knew in a moment that he must be Saint Nick. 
more rapid than eagles, his 500 horsepower came. And he whistled and shouted, and he called us all by name. Hello, Sean and Susan and Sally and John Maynard Keynes. Hello, Johnny and Randy and sweet baby James. Ride to the Waffle House and don't you slow down. Santa needs some smothered, covered, diced, topped hash browns. As leaves that before the wind, wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky, so up to the Waffle House parking lot, the semi-truck flew with the wild tractor trailer, trailer full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, he jumped out of the cab. He was wearing steel-toed boots and Atlanta Braves ball cap. As I drew in my head and was turning around, through the door, St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed in denim and plied from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished and ashes and soot. A bundle of gifts he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just about to open his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like, lo like roses, and his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stub of an unfiltered camel held tight in his teeth, <laughs> and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a big round belly and mittens on his paw and a forearm tattoo of a bikini-clad Mrs. Claus. <laughs> he was chubby and plump and a right jolly old elf. And I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave us all know we had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and he filled all our hands with gifts. And then he turned with a jerk. He approached our waitress and our Waffle House cook, and he handed them cash from a small pocketbook. What's this for? The servers asked. Why all the money? He said, that's for being in food service, honey. It's for working so hard, he said, and going unseen. This is a humbling job, but tonight you are kings and queen. And laying his finger aside his nose, Santa got his patty melt and hash browns to go. He sprang into his Peterbilt and gave the horn a blow, and the truck rumbled away into the highway of snow. But I heard him exclaim as he resumed his highway route, Merry Christmas to all and to all who dine at the Waffle House. about another tune here from the Petersons, everybody, the Petersons. Fears and 
Well, this portion of our show is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition in my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best cure for idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a case knife because according to my grandmother, there is no sin more grievous than having idle hands. She would take any child with idle hands and send him or her out to the yard to gather firewood or do some set of busy work and she herself never had idle hands, especially when a child misbehaved when her idle hands connected with your idle butt. <laughs> this portion of our show also brought to you by Tennessee Peanuts. Tennessee Peanuts. Are you feeling tired, anxious, or unhappy? You have frequent bouts of forlorn complacency and existential angst that leaves you exhausted, drained, grumpy, depleted, and downright despondent. Try Tennessee Peanut Company's down-home peanuts. Ten out of twelve doctors recommend Tennessee Peanuts to aid digestion, increase circulation, and improve well-being overall. Tennessee Peanut Company brings you an array of roasted peanut flavors to suit all your body's essential peanut needs as identified by the American Medical Association. You can burn your tongue on some Nashville's sweet and spicy peanuts or satisfy your sinful needs with doubly dipped chocolate peanuts. Enjoy flavors like Cajun Bayou Bites, Honey Roasted Chipotle, Traditional Salty, Sea Salt, or Cracked Pepper. And when you have room in your belly, try some sweet, sweet classic peanut brittle. You can trust me on this. Your pancreas will thank you. Tennessee Peanut Company for all your peanut needs open 24 hours of the morning, day, or night in time of day. Visit the Tennessee Peanut Company at TennesseePeanut.com. And now let's welcome up to the stage here a beautiful family band, the Petersons, everybody. Jesus 
This is a time of year for ghosts and memories and spirits. When Charles Dickens wrote his Christmas Carol, he knew first and foremost that he was going to write a story of ghosts, of time travel, of nostalgia, of spirits. Because this is that time of year. It is the time of year when spirits come out to play. Now, I don't know what you believe, and it doesn't really matter, but the memories that you hold in your head of your own personal life, they sometimes are given a certain freedom during a time of year in which tradition is heavily employed. Tradition is the one thing that stays the same in this ever-changing world. We have gone from, from wheels on wagons pulled by horses to rubber tires on cars that are manufactured in Detroit to cars that now drive themselves in traffic with an alloy tire that is impenetrable and cannot be popped by those screws and roof and tacks your daddy used to leave in the driveway <laughs> to cars now that are completely powered by electric batteries and cost roughly the same price as a tactical government helicopter. <laughs> we are in a modern world. We have the entire information of mankind in our pocket and we can read it. We can read about people's lives. We can use this little device on our pocket, our phone, to flush a toilet from outer space. <laughs> you can open your garage door before you get home. You can see the UPS man as he's delivering your package. But tradition, tradition is that bedrock, that bedrock, the very lowest layer of the foundation of the house. It calls us all back into the olden days where the spirits still live, where the ghosts still reside, and our memories come out to play like little angels. That was really quite brilliant what I just said. <laughs> this is the time of year when I think mostly about my father. My father is the primary ghost that I'm familiar with. He's visited me at all different times of my life. He died when I was 11 years old. He died in a very traumatic way. And I always associated him with a blue heron because everybody said he looked like a heron. He was tall, very tall, and he had long, long, skinny, scrawny legs that my mother always used to say he looked like a man riding a chicken across the backyard. <laughs> lean, lean, he had a long, lean neck and kind of a sharp nose. Looked like a heron. Looked like a heron. Blue heron. So that's what people called him. Well, when he died, I saw herons all over the place. I saw a heron on the day he died. I've seen herons in the most inopportune and opportune moments in which I have this feeling that my father is sort of giving me a wink, or maybe the heron is the ghost of my father. Who knows? Let's see, I saw a heron once uh, on his birthday when I was a young man at the Grand Canyon. Arizona is not known for their tropical birds. But as I stood at the North Rim looking at the miles and miles of the world's grandest ditch, the colors of orange and iron oxide fill the senses, I saw this creature land on the guardrail. And I looked to my right and I saw a heron. He had that long, lean neck shaped like an S and those legs that were so long they looked triple-jointed. And I thought of my old man. I've seen this bird on my father's birthday when I was peddling along with my wife. We were on cycles across 350 miles in the wilderness from Pittsburgh to Virginia. We were on the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath it was my father's birthday, and I heard beside me as I was riding, flap, 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 flap. And I looked and I saw a heron, a blue heron, in the air, keeping pace with me. 
he flew on ahead and he jumped on a, a branch and he just stayed overhead as I passed underneath him looking at me. And then he leapt off the branch and he followed me again. I would not believe that this had even happened unless my wife would have actually seen it with me. It was amazing. I've seen herons all throughout my life. I believe in ghosts. My father was a jolly man. He was a really, really happy man. Aside all his other problems, he was a jolly man. He used to love to laugh. He could memorize every single joke. I remember when we'd walk into the the Legion Hall and he'd sit me up on a stool beside him as he would order his oval team. <laughs> and he would uh, he'd get into a conversation with the guy at the bar next to him. He'd say, hey, you, you know, I went to the, uh, to the men's Bible study last week at our church. You know, I was, the, I was the prized guest. They treated me like royalty. They gave me the door prize. The door prize was a toilet brush. <laughs> yeah, I used it for about a week, but I'm switching back to paper. He loved to laugh. My father used to sit in his easy chair before the television. He'd watch comedians, and they'd, they'd, they'd make him laugh, and he would always laugh so hard, one laugh upon another, until it would finally end in a coughing fit. And his coughing fit would always end in him spitting phlegm into a napkin. And then my mother would leave the room. He grew up with really nothing. He grew up in a farmhouse. He was born in a very rural area with nothing around except these scant little shack houses of tenant farmers from the years gone by. Now they were filled with, with farmers who were struggling or they were filled with poor families. And he himself was an underprivileged kid. There's no doubt about it. His most prized possession was a little radio transistor radio that he had bought from the department store in Iola. And he would hold this next to him in bed. It was, it was his most valued possession. He would listen to reruns of the Abbott and Costello radio show, or Jack Benny, or Amos and Andy, or he'd listen to ball games that would come on the AM radio waves hovering across the rural parts. He once had a duck that his family bought him. That was his most favored pet. He'd never had a pet before except a, a dog who had passed away. And his duck, he named Donald. He loved this duck. And this duck followed him everywhere when he was just a little old boy. And one day he came home. It was Christmas. And Donald was nowhere to be seen. And he called Donald. He ran all over and called him. His parents watched my daddy run around calling for Donald and, and Nobody had the heart to tell him that they had bought Donald for Christmas dinner. <laughs> and so this would explain why my father, who raised me as a deep water Baptist, headed up every single year the Christmas tree committee. Now, the Christmas tree committee was very interesting to me, if you, if you ask me. Uh, we're Southern Baptist people. We're the kind of folks who don't believe in keeping NyQuil in the cabinet because it's known as Baptist preacher's scotch. <laughs> we're the kind of people who don't buy life insurance because it is considered by my people a form of gambling. And so we had this committee that never really made sense to me, a Christmas tree committee in which all these men and women would get together and they would figure out ways to raise money so that they could buy loads of balsam firs. They would take these fir trees and load them onto a huge flatbed trailer which my father hauled in his Ford diesel, his work welding truck. My father was a welder. And his truck had the oxygen canisters and the long draping tubes and all the bales of, of welding rods. And they would load this onto the flatbed trailer, these trees, and they would deliver them to needy people. And this was a very important 
important venture for my father. He would resort to any way possible to raise money, including taking paralyzingly cute little leaguers and sending them door to door with nothing but homemade cookies in which we were expected to hold people up for money and not leave their porch until they at least donated $10. (laughs) He would go and drum money out of anybody he met. He would talk to complete strangers at the Legion Hall or at the VFW, and he would get money from them. They would reach out their pocketbooks, and my father would smile, or he'd tell them where to make out the check, and they would raise money every year for these Christmas trees. This was a big deal to my father. And then, every year, my father would load these onto the truck, and they would, they would spit them up among his army of good doers, and I would ride with my father to deliver these trees. We would wear Santa hats, and my father would wear his festive kind of clothing. He looked just like an idiot. (laughs) And we would drive with that heater blaring across the rural parts until we seemed like we were in the middle of nowhere. I can remember one night being in his truck, that little welding truck that was rattling along the road, sounded a lot like a tambourine salesman riding on the railroad tracks. <laughs> old truck, just old, just rattling around. The heater was going, I had my hands on the heater vents because it was just freezing outside. It was freezing, it was 56 degrees. <laughs> and it seemed like we were just way out in the hinterlands, in the backwaters where no human being had ever been. It was dark, the night sky looked like rock salt, rock salt stars on a velvet screen. And we finally arrived at this place that was called Grand Estates, and it was a trailer park. And you could see their little tiny windows off in the distance, like hovering lit squares hanging in the suspended blackness. My father pulled in, and we got out. He kept the truck running. We walked to the back of that flatbed trailer, and my father un latched the the gate and he crawled up and he lifted this large balsam fir. It was bigger than the tree we had at home. Large, maybe eight feet. And he walked into that little overhanging porch and he rapped on that aluminum door, that cheap aluminum door. Pop, 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 pop. And the door opened and behind this door was this young woman. She had a baby on her hip. And she was, she was cooking something in the kitchen. We could smell it. And there were kids running around in the house. And they were laughing and playing some sort of game. And she looked at him through the glass of that, that screen door. And she said, can I help you? He said, yes, we are here with the power company, ma'am. And you have been randomly selected for being such a good customer for a free Christmas tree this year. The woman just stared at him. You see, we were, we were never, ever delivering trees to the needy as far as they were concerned. My father would never tell anybody that somebody in church had nominated her as a recipient of a free Christmas tree because they knew that she had need. My father said none of that. We were always with the power company. We were always delivering trees to random houses because they were such good customers. She smiled and she said, well, well, come on in. We walked inside this little single wide trailer. It smelled like spaghetti she was making. And the kids looked at this thing come in. These children were amazed. What's that, they said. Now he said, this is a balsam fir. This is your Christmas tree this year. Wow, and he walked to their little mantle, which was a mantle that somebody had hung on the wall, and there were stockings hanging from the mantle with names written on them. And my father said, I think this is a good place. What do you think? And the kids said, yeah, yeah. And my father set down the tree, and it was so tall that it was bending where it touched the ceiling at least by two feet. 
He looked at it and he said, I think that needs to be trimmed. And the kids started to clap. They said, oh boy. And they, my father put the tree down onto the carpet and he used his hedge clippers and he trimmed the tree as best he could to a point. And then he put it into the jack post stand and he stood it up to the tip of the tree, just barely grazed the top of that ceiling. And my father finished trimming the tree to where it was a perfect triangular conifer shape. And when he finished, he gave all the kids these large hugs. He said, I have some other things for you. And he went to the truck and he had a little package of gifts that people had donated at our church. And he just gave them a few things to put underneath their tree. He said, don't open these until Christmas now. And they said, oh, we won't, we won't. And he hugged them all so tightly and said, Merry Christmas. And that woman with the baby on her hip covered her mouth and she turned her head. And I saw her shoulders kind of bob up and down. And we left. We got into that warm truck. He unlatched the brake lever. And we drove on into the night. And we kept driving. And I was silent. And Bing Crosby was singing on the radio in German. And we went still further into the darkness, into the wilderness, until we reached this, this really, really desolate area. I mean, it was desolate. I have never seen a place that looked like such squalor. And we got to this shack that looked like it was leaning sideways as though if anybody inside sneezed, the house would fall down. The clapboards were gray at one time. I bet they had been white, but over years of, of chipped paint, the wood was exposed and they were just, just barely hanging on. The roof had the obligatory blue tarp strung across it. The windows were replaced with planks and plywood and duct tape and trash bags. And the porch was lopsided. It was lopsided and leaning a little bit to the west so that when you walked on it, you had to be really careful where you stepped because the floorboards were pretty moldy. My father went to the back of the truck, opened up that trailer gate, he crawled on, he got a big old tree, he threw it over his shoulder, it was the largest tree we had, enormous, 10 feet. And we walked up to that little porch, and my father wasn't saying a word. He was, visibly, he was visibly moved by something. We got to that door, and there was a screen door that was only hanging on by one hinge. It had a funky screen that was brown and green and a clouded clouded window on top made of broken glass. He opened up the screen door and he knocked on the door. And some children answered. They had stringy hair and they were lean and emaciated and their clothes were the style from 15 years earlier as if they'd been bought from the bottom of the, of the Goodwill bin. They were covered and stains and some holes. and The children just looked poor. And my father smiled. He said, Merry Christmas. Is your mom or your daddy home? And the kids looked at him and they were smiling from earlobe to earlobe. And they called for their daddy, they called for their mother and the mother and father came to the door and they had that proud glare that, that poor people often wear. It is a look that says, I can take care of my own, thank you very much. But my father spoke their language, and he said, we're with the power company. We're here to give you a tree because you were such a great customer this year. And the man and the woman, their scowls turned into smiles. It's a very different thing, being, being the recipient of charity or being the recipient of an award for good behavior. My father walked in and he set the tree up. It didn't need any trimming at all. And I wondered how he knew that a big tree like this would fit into a house like this. And he set it up in the jack post stand and the man was asking him if he could help him. And dad said, no, 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 I'm good, I got it. And the man said, well, would you like a beer or something? And my daddy said, sure, sure. And the man brought him a bottle and opened up the cap on his belt buckle. Something that I've tried at least 10 times in my life, and all 10 times have landed me in stitches. 
My father sipped that thing and he looked back at the tree and he said, hey, I, I almost forgot, I've got presents. And he walked out to the car and he got a large bag of presents. This was the whole bag itself, not just a few. He lugged it inside, he threw it on the living room floor and he took each wrapped present and he placed it underneath the tree until that tree was brimming with gifts. And he finished his beer and we all stood and stared at that piece of artwork in the corner. It was adorned with tinsel and lights and garland and the top had an angel topper. It was a gorgeous tree and it seemed to increase the value of that house by at least $100,000. And the children gave him a hug and he shook the hand of the man who owned the house and he hugged the wife. And we piled into that truck and we drove offward into the night and my daddy was weeping. He was crying. It's a very strange thing to see your old man weep. We're taught as boys not to cry. We're taught as boys to, to be, be tough, to be jovial, to be cheerful, to soldier on and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all those trite $10 cliches that don't amount to a hill of beans in this world. But we're not supposed to cry. And Daddy was crying. It turns out that the house where that tree had been delivered was his childhood home. It was the house he'd grown up in. And he wiped the tears from his eyes with his sleeve. And he looked at me and he said, promise me something. Promise me something. Promise me that you will never, ever Forget people who are hard up. And try as I may to be a responsible adult, I never have forgotten that promise. And every year at Christmas, his ghost reminds me to do my best to fulfill that promise. Gone blue to remember it that way. Children in their beds dream of better times. The days ahead would manifest rivers of sunshine. That's our show coming to you live from Florida. This episode brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family. IntensityPenis.com, a folklore brewing in Madrid. Special thanks to Kim Scott, John Rainey, Silvio Centamore, Aaron Peters, Alan Wright, Frederico Hacini. And how about our special guest here, the Petersons, everybody. Merry Christmas and have a good night.